I want boats. I want murder. (laughs) I want tropical locations. I want isolation. And so just sort of from those little ingredients, the book kind of grew out from there. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to a new episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. Today, we are so thrilled pun intended, to welcome Rachel Hawkins, who has quite a career already and continues to push boundaries in whatever genre she undertakes, and her readers are all the more grateful for it. I am Ron Block. Rachel recently previewed her newest book, Reckless Girls, on a Wednesday live episode of Friends in Fiction, and we were so intrigued and interested that we wanted to dive deeper here on the podcast. I am Patty Callahan Henry. To tell you a bit about our guest before she tells you everything else that you really want to know, Rachel is the New York Times bestselling author of The Wife Upstairs and the newest blockbuster, Reckless Girls, as well as multiple books for young readers. Her work has been translated into a dozen languages. She was born in Virginia, but moved to Alabama at a young age. She graduated from Houston Academy and at Auburn University, where she studied gender and sexuality in Victorian literature. She wrote the novel Hex Hall while working as an English teacher. She lives in, as Patty calls it, the loveliest plain of Auburn, Alabama. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be back. I have to tell you, you I think you owe me a few hours of sleep after reading this script. <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> that's that's the, you know, that's what I'm always hoping for. Oh. That's amazing. All right. The last time Ron and I talked to you, it was about The Wife Upstairs, which yes. is a yes. retelling of Rebecca set in the very Alabama city where I live. You and I right now feel a thousand miles away on this podcast and we're only less than two hours away from each other. I know, which is crazy. I was literally just like in Birmingham last week. Okay. We got to get each other's numbers. Come on. We do. We do. So I should have given you a call as I just went up there to use the Trader Joe's basically. Oh man. I could have met you right there so I could get my chocolate covered raspberry things from them. Author Um, secrets. You heard it here. Love them. Yeah. Secrets here. Okay. Now we have Reckless Girls, a deliciously wicked gothic suspense set on an isolated Pacific island. I love this. One island, six visitors, countless secrets. Just hearing that, everyone has got to be hooked. So before we take a deeper dive into the origins and inspiration and your writing process, can you tell us 
a bit about the plot of Reckless Girls. Entertainment Weekly says you can give almost anything a gothic lens. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, we, we kept calling this one island gothic. We were like, it's a thing. It's a thing now. It's yeah. a thing. I totally so, agree. Yeah so, yeah. so Reckless Girls is the story of Lux McAllister, who is a slightly rudderless 20-something living in Hawaii with her equally rudderless, literally in some cases, <laughs> uh, boyfriend, <laughs> Nico. And they're approached by these two young women, Brittany and Ama, about sailing to a deserted island with a very dark history. They take them up on this offer, and when they get to the island, they find another couple has already sort of staked out the place as their vacation spot. The group seems to really get along great at first, but the longer they spend on Moreau Island, the more they realize that the island has a lot of secrets, but so do their fellow travelers. And things kind of unravel from there, as it were. That is, oh, yes. That's a great way Unraveled of might it. be one, one, one way to call it. <laughs> Unraveled is a very genteel yeah, word for say. what ends up happening on Moreau, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, and you don't know what's under the surface right there, do you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we love to talk about the origin of stories. What pinged this idea? Uh, some have called it a retelling of an Agatha Christie, but you say, nope, it was all you. And I also <laughs> read somewhere that's a story that you wanted to tell since you were 12. Yes, in some sort of way. So yeah, it's it definitely has like, there's probably some homages there to like, and then there were none. Um, but it definitely is kind of my own thing. The, the closest thing, in fact, in terms of like an inspiration for this book is actually an older true crime book. There was a book that I checked out from the library when I was, like I said, about 12 or 13, called And the Sea Will Tell, which is like the best sort of foreboding <laughs> title, Bugliosi. And the Sea Will Tell, <laughs> as by Vincent Bugliosi, who obviously also wrote Helter Skelter. And now if you buy a copy of And the Sea Will Tell, it has a very classy like black and white picture of the ocean on it. But the original one that I got from my library was like super lurid and it was like turquoise and there was a skull on the front, like by like a treasure chest. It was very cool. Uh, So yeah, that was kind of my first, um, the, the, my first touchstone for this book was loving and the sea will tell when I was 12 and, and the sea will tell is a story of two couples who ended up at a very remote South Pacific Island, a place called uh, Palmyra and one couple whose names, no joke, were Mac and Muff Graham, which is like the most like <laughs> yuppie names. <laughs> Mac and Muff. I forgot that. <laughs> um, yes. Mac and Muff had sailed there because they were like wealthy retirees. And then there's this other couple, Jennifer and Buck, who are there because they're running from drug charges in Hawaii. And they're on a very beat up boat. And Mac and Muff have a really nice boat. And you can maybe see where (laughs) a conflict occurs. Mm -hmm. But I loved that book. And my dad was a sailor. We had a very small sailboat uh, in Panama City for a while when I was a kid. So I used to go out with him. And so there was just something about all of that, I think, that sort of like smooshed together in my little brain about like, there was something kind of glamorous about like life on the open ocean, but there was also something sort of scary about it. And so, yeah, I've always been drawn to these types of stories that other people have written. Um, There's a great thriller that came out a few years ago by Lucy Clark called the blue. And I grabbed it immediately. Like when I saw it in target, cause I was like, Oh, it's got a sailboat on the cover and (laughs) and bad things will happen on boats. I really want to read that. (laughs) 
so yeah, it's it's always been like a weird obsession of mine. And uh, and I've talked before, like on Twitter, that I was going to write the boat murder book, and so this was finally <laughs> the, the boat murder book. I started just with that core concept of like I want boats, I want murder, <laughs> I want tropical locations, I want isolation, and so just sort of from those little ingredients the book kind of grew out from there. That's awesome. And you were mentioning the earlier book, the cover and the title. Was that always the the title of the book, um, Reckless Girls? And, or if not, how did it come to that? But I also want to no, ask about yeah. the cover because that cover is yeah. so deceiving. And if you look at it really <laughs> close, it's got that yeah. little rip down the pretty picture. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, no, it was not originally called Reckless Girls. I did not actually have a title for it for a long time. Like I said, I referred to it as boat murder. I kind of like I was, that. <laughs> I know, like talking about it to friends. And um, and then I gave it like the working title because I couldn't turn it into my editor with just boat murder attached to it. I gave it the working title over my head, but I always really hated that. And I never wanted to keep it. There was something about the, um, the personal pronoun that bothered me. I was like, that's not the vibe. And then... Weirdly enough, somebody, I, I believe, was actually my editor's boss, was the one who was like, what about Reckless Girls after she read it? And I, I loved that immediately. I just thought it was kind of um, apt, for one. <laughs> but there was also something kind of sexy and, and fun about it. And then, yeah, the cover is so good. Um, I've yeah. been really, really lucky with my covers at St. Martin's. I loved that it 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 looks similar to the wife upstairs. If you see it and you had seen the wife upstairs, like it's, it's so obviously part of a brand, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, I just, I really love, and I really hope that my brand can kind of continue to be like very sort of feminine floral murder books. Like I, I love that it kind of <laughs> people get this like bright yellow book with these beautiful pink flowers and then like have no idea what they're in for, I think is I, I like surprising people in that particular way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's so pretty. It's such a pretty cover. Oh, wait, it's about murder. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's so funny. I called my my book about, my book called Surviving Savannah, which is about a shipwreck. I'm laughing because you said that because for two years while I was working on it, I called it the shipwreck book. Yeah. Right. The boat murder book, <laughs> exactly. the shipwreck book. Like, how I've done you, that I with like know. a lot of things or like the something book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll figure out a title. And, and it also yeah. when and when you're talking about it and when you're reading it, I kept keep thinking about the Natalie Wood mystery. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, boat murders. Like, yeah. was she? Wasn't? Like, was never solved. So yeah, it's a great. There's all kinds of like creepy stuff like that. I think, and again, I think so, as being someone who like grew up around boats, and and my dad was a very talented and good sailor, really safe and all that. But like, there's just no getting away from the fact that like it's inherently dangerous. Yeah. Um, so that always makes it good. And it's also kind of inherently, I mean, our boat was not very glamorous at all, but some boats, <laughs> Natalie Wood's boat. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, sure that was a big one. Yeah. Or really, you know, there's, there's, like I said, that kind of sexy glamor aspect too, which is always fun. Also, there's that mysterious something that disappears in the ocean stays. Yeah. It's I mean, just, the fathomless deep, like yeah, it keeps its secrets until it doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which I think is like, so, and that was the thing that I kept sort of wanting to reinforce in the book is that all the things that make it seem amazing, the freedom of it, the off the grid, the 
reliance on yourself are also the things that make it freaking terrifying because yeah, exactly. No one's, no one can hear you scream, you know, like no one's there to help you. And when things go really South, it's like, there's no structure there to, you know, save you. So. Yep. All right. I want to talk a little bit about your writing process, but kind of held up against your education. Like I want to, I want to combine those. So authors come to novels in so many different ways. Well, we were waiting to log on you and I were talking about surprise endings or whether you outline or how to find the twist. Right. Right. So you and I attended the same university. But I went to nursing school and you were an English major. And yet here we both are writing modern day fiction. So you're educated in English lit and a specialist in Victorian England. And now look what you're writing. I know, yeah. I want you to talk to us a little bit about you, about how you fell in love with story and your journey to becoming a writer, if you can. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've loved writing ever since I was a kid. And I think like a lot of people who end up in this business, you know, I started out as a reader and those things like walk very much hand in hand with one another. So yeah, I was a big reader as a kid. And I have talked about this before at things that like I would say that I was a writer before I could write because I loved to play Barbies and like really like extravagant games of pretend, which I think is always a sign <laughs> that like you're probably heading in this direction. Also, when your parents say to you, get your head out of the clouds. Yeah. Right. I think every writer has heard that at least three times, you know, from their parents, get your head out of the clouds. Exactly. Pay attention. Pay attention. Um, I can't. I definitely heard story. that from teachers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I am, I'm paying attention to what I'm dreaming up. So yeah, it, it was mostly like a lot of reading. And then, um, you know, I wrote for fun as a kid. I, I loved to make up stories. Um, I'm sure that if I were born 10, 20 years later than I was, I would have been really into like fanfic. Like I'm so kind of jealous that kids especially have like <laughs> that to go to now. I was just writing stories in my like notebook and passing it to my friends. Like here's the next chapter, you know, in math class when I should have been paying attention. So yeah, I was always writing like that. And those, those first kind of things that I wrote were always, they were almost like original fanfic. You know, it was always like bad pastiches of the things that I was reading. So, and I read a lot of historical romance. So I was writing these very like overwrought, terrible medieval romances for my own enjoyment. But yeah, it's funny because like when I went to school, I still wasn't really ever thinking about being a writer. I just knew that I enjoyed doing it. I actually, like a lot of college students, changed majors a bunch of times. I think I went in as like a communications major. I don't know what I was going to do. I was actually a criminology major for a long time. So that really has paid off. Wow. Oh, <laughs> um, I missed that part of your history. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I never mention it because like I, that's, I went in as a criminal or I, you know, eventually became a criminology major and um, I have enough credit hours in it to have a minor in it, but I didn't take like the, like the one class I had to take to yeah. officially have a minor. So, which is a very classic me kind of thing to do. And I enjoyed that, but I just realized really quickly too, like the career opportunities in criminology, like you get into it and you think you're going to be like, you know, Clary Starling or whatever. Star- what is what is her last name in Silence of the Lambs? It's Clary. I think it's Starling. 
I think it is Starling. Okay, Bless I was right. Clarice. Clarice. Yeah. You, you think you're going to be that, <laughs> but like, really, you're going to be a parole officer, um, which is a great job, I'm sure, but not the one that I wanted. And I was taking a, a lot of um, English elective courses. So since I was taking all of that, I was really having a lot of fun doing that. And eventually I just kind of was like, you know, I'm having way more fun in my English classes then I, I enjoyed criminology and I was doing okay in it, but I was, I was a little over it and I was going to have to take a, a statistics class. And I knew that statistics was just a fancy word for math. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I don't think this is the place for me. So yeah, I went into the English department and then just sort of fell into a literature degree. I took a couple of creative writing classes, which really were quite helpful in the long run. But it was, I liked the lit stuff. I liked reading books and talking about them. And in a lot of ways, I think that having like a literature degree probably served me better as a writer than if I'd gotten, uh, if I'd done my focus in creative writing, um, just oh. because it exposed me oh. to just so many books and, mm -hmm. uh, and also like the sort of analytical nature of it. So yeah, so that it's kind of a long and rambling. <laughs> no, I love hearing before. it. I just, yeah, I feel like we don't hear enough from authors about the journey it took them to get to a novel and readers often assume it's the only thing you ever did. And in some ways it is right. almost all of us mm -hmm. were big readers. We scribbled stories, but we also took this, most of us, not all of us, but most of us took a very zigzaggy route, you know, not, right. not, not standing up at 11 years old saying, I'm going to be a writer of books, you know, but, exactly. but trying other things. And then all of those little, I don't know how to, like all these little streams flowing in to, to this one river that ends up being our novels, but yeah, but exactly. it having, so I love hearing that. Thanks for sharing that with us. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really awesome. And they say all these little flashes of interest and experience, you either become a librarian or you become a writer. So <laughs> there you yeah, go. That makes Busy. sense. That makes sense. Yes. So <laughs> or a bookstore owner, maybe. Or a bookstore yeah, owner. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We want to talk about your writing process for the books that you write now, especially this one. I, one of the things that got me about it was the use of historical snippets and, and emails and stories about Moreau Island. I thought it was real. I was until I read your author notes <laughs> at the back. I was like, oh, I need to know more about this island. But that's yeah. that's all part of your process and how you tell the story from different angles. So can you talk about how you put the book together? Yeah. And, and I will say like that, that bit is a really good example of how like the sausage gets made because that was not in the original draft. Those ideas that that was my editor. When she read the original draft, she said, you know, we talk so much about the Island. Like what if we added in some sort of extra bits that would make, you know, I really want to build the idea of the atmosphere of the Island. Cause one of the things that we had talked about um, my editor and I was that, if the book is a Gothic and like the whole thing with the Gothic is the house, you know, <laughs> like you've got Manderley and Rebecca, you've got Thornfield and Jane Eyre, that the house is such a big thing. You know, we wanted the Island to be the haunted house of right. this particular Gothic. And the way you do that is by building up its reputation. And so she was the one that said, why don't we try to do these like little bits in between? And she said, you can do as many or as few as you want. You can do, you know, I think she had just wanted me to do like a couple of like, maybe like encyclopedia entries or something. But then as soon as she said that, and this is what a great editor does, 
it was like my brain lit up with that one note. I was like, okay, yes, no, no, I know what to do with that. And that's when I was like, we're going to have Christmas cards. We're going to have emails. We're going to have travel logs, all this kind of stuff from all sorts of different, you know, mediums that really build up the how, uh, the island. And so, yes, that's all thanks to the fact that I have a brilliant editor who got what I was trying to do very early on. And too, like with this particular book, this was a tough one to write. And I think part of it is because I had wanted to write it for so long. So I think this one took several months and just like the plotting, but by plotting, I, I don't do anything super formal. Um, I usually turn in basically like a 10 page synopsis and it's, okay. it's just the the plot broken down into its simplest terms. It's, it's paragraph after paragraph of like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And that I have found is really, really helpful. And it's really, you know, I write romance under a pen name as well. And so I've started doing that for the romances too. I'd started in suspense and the thrillers because I was so afraid of getting deep into it and then suddenly being like, wait, who did do it? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I, I like to like make be sure I know what's happening right. before I start. The roadmap. Yeah, exactly. Because I always say too, like thriller writers or thriller readers, it's a really sophisticated, very smart group of readers and they read all the thrillers and some of them you can surprise, not all of them, right. but the ones that you can't surprise, you need to at least satisfy. So like they're that. like, yeah, I saw it coming, but I you did a good job. That. But I it was still that. satisfying. I'm not that's right. so that's, true. So that's what I'm always trying to do is, is to understand like, it's fine if you figure it out early on, but I want you to like, you know, I think sometimes, especially you see this in TV, like people get very worried that like, oh, the audience guessed the twist. So we've got to change the twist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you were doing the right thing. They were following your breadcrumbs. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so that helps me because I always say that I want the reader to be at least one step ahead of the characters, but I try to stay at least one step ahead of the reader. And so for me, it's got to be kind of plotted out before I can do that. But yeah, this one, like I said, I had done that. and But each draft, it kept getting kind of nearer to what I really wanted it to be. And again, that's because I have a brilliant editor, which really helps. Because yeah, one of the things that we kept doing is sort of, you know, I think in the original version, it had a very clear cut, sort of cut and dry crime plot. There was a, a crime that was clearly being plotted through the whole thing. And I just kept saying, like, I just think we need to make it messier. And it's more about these people and the ways in which, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated when bad things happen or people do bad things. And they're like, this never would have happened had it not been this combination of people. Like, individually, these people might not have ever done any of this stuff. It's true. But together, it created this, you know, situation. So, so yeah, it was, this was a weird one in that sense. Like I said, I, it, it's funny because the characters kind of get more and more feral as the book as the goes on. on. Right, right. Yeah, and I feel like the draft got more and more feral as it went on, but like in the right way. It got less structured. It got more, you know, organic. Are these outlines, are they more like bullet points or do you do like a narrative long outline? Yeah, it's a narrative outline. It, um, okay. it, it can start out as bullet points, but by the time I'm kind of done with it, it morphs itself into full paragraphs. Okay. So, I even yeah. like sometimes I'll have, you know, slashes of dialogue in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
knowing somebody's going to say something like this. Right, right. And I'll try to like always like sort of be like coming back to like what the theme is, you know, like even if it's just like a really loose thing, like remember this is a story about, you know, uh, like in the case of Reckless Girls, it's obviously a fun kind of sexy adventure book with murder. (laughs) But I was also like, always wanted to remember that I was telling stories about um, grief for one, like what grief does to us, uh, the ways in which we handle grief. I was telling stories about class who gets away with things because they've got money versus who doesn't. Um, I'm always telling a story. I think about gender and the ways that uh, men and women move through the world. So yeah, there was a lot going on. So I was trying to be sure that like those things are noted in those outlines. Yeah, that's something that struck me about the book, too, is um, the gender thing. It's all mm-hmm. really about the things that women can't get away with, but men seem to feel like they always can. Right, and how exactly. that interplays between the two. And, and, and then you mix that with the mixture in class. And it's just... Uh, <laughs> a lot going on a lot happening oh yeah but like you said messy but i love it that way it's, yeah yeah because that's good. like that's human you know and that's to me like one of the interesting things and i think especially like coming out of having written for kids before and it's not that you can't have very messy human books for kids most books for kids are very messy and human in the best ways but right. for me it really freed me up to like in writing about adults i suddenly felt like i could go darker and, and even sort of like really get amongst it, as it were, you know, in, in the darker sides of human nature than I was like maybe comfortable doing with teenage characters. Yeah. So I, I saw read somewhere that you called it below deck with murder. And that's a perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love below deck. Is the well, thing. Me, it's me my too, favorite trash TV show. I wish there was murder now. <laughs> Sometimes there really needs to be there murder on be below deck. Murder. Look, I'm just saying some of those guests. Oh, yeah. Oh, we could do another whole podcast about that. (laughs) We should get the below deck people up here with Rachel. That's like my dream. Like Captain Lee, just know my name. That would make me so happy. Oh my gosh. I think, (laughs) I think he would probably love to know your name. We need to get reckless (laughs) girls to him. Exactly. Exactly. Someone who knows Captain Lee, help me out here. He's just in Florida. Like it's just one state down. We'll track him down. Gonna find Captain Lee. And speaking of people, I, you know, Lux and Nico, like you said, get a little more feral as time yes. goes on. But I find that sometimes the books or characters, especially as author, I'm talking to you as an author, not a reader, mm-hmm. that they change the way we think or see the world. Did this book or did Lux and Nico do that at all for you as they changed? You know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I think like writing, especially Lux, who is like very, very different from me in a lot of ways and very different from my sort of life experiences, other than the fact that we both lost a parent to cancer while quite young. And I definitely like tapped into that sort of stuff, but I had like my wonderful supportive mother and like, you know, a community and all that sort of stuff. And I took all those things away from Lux. And I think that, especially because she is somebody who's only like supposed to be about like 23, 24, something like that. As I've sort of aged, I know that I can get impatient with like younger people. Yeah. And maybe that's because I parent a teenager. It gave me though a lot of empathy because I had to empath. I mean, even the bad people you empathize with 
to some degree when you're writing, you know, you try to figure out because nobody in their head for the most part is being like, I'm a villain. I'm going <laughs> to do I'm bad the bad things. guy like, in a story. Nobody yeah. ever thinks they're the bad nobody guy. Nobody thinks that. They're, nobody they're thinks all the just, guy. yeah. And so I definitely think like it, it changed that, that I was like, no, this would be hard. Like, and it's a different world right now for somebody in their mid twenties. I mean, by the time I was 25, I was married and had a baby and was teaching and was in grad school and like, Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. And and that's not necessarily the case for like, you know, everybody. So yeah, it definitely gave me some more empathy for I think that age group and like what, how their youth in this way is so different. I love that. Yeah, it's always interesting to me how, because I don't think there's a book I've written and probably even a book I've read, even if it's something minor, that we don't come away with a bit of a, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Maybe like that's what the bad guy does. (laughs) (laughs) You get it out. It just gets it out of your system. Right. So we've talked a little bit about the island and how in a a gothic kind of a book um, setting can be a character of its own. So, uh, But as I read this too, I was thinking that the island, as beautiful as it was, was kind of the world – um, during the pandemic in a way. And you had said that you had written this book completely in the pandemic. So can you talk about the island as character and did the pandemic affect how the story came out? Yeah, it's interesting. I think we're all going to be like really reckoning for a long time with like the way that the pandemic affected our writing and the books that came out of it. Luckily, it- <laughs> luckily is a weird word to use here, but luckily, like this book did not like I don't think I'd fully like absorbed much of the pandemic by the time I finished writing this one yet. You know what I mean? Like it, there was still kind of that feeling of like any minute now, this will all just go yeah. back to normal. Yeah. It really wasn't until after. And in fact, like I was lucky enough to be able to take a vacation to um, Antigua back in October, sort of like in the, in the midst between the like, Delta and Omicron. Yeah. yeah in the in window. window. And I, I was actually out on like a, like a little kind of speedboat thing. And I looked out in the distance and there was this beautiful sailboat against like this blue sky with the cloud and the sort of turquoise water. And I literally like got choked up because I was like, I spent so much time sitting in my guest room picturing this. And I kind of like, I think I sort of thought I might never see that in the real world ever again. And so that it was like, it was so strange. It was so, that was like such a delayed reaction, I think. And that's when I realized like how much this book had really meant to me during the pandemic. Cause I did, it's like, I spent so much time on Murrow Island while just staring out the window of my guest room. So yeah, but that was definitely, uh, again, a thing that I was very conscious of when writing it was that you just always wanted that sense that the Island was closing in, getting smaller and smaller. And, and that even though, it's basically deserted that that you feel like these people are too close to you, which is probably like very metaphorical for being stuck in your house with your family for months on end. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, that's how I read it, but you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been fascinating and a a book that I know I really love and I know that other people are going to want to pick it up and read it too. Can you tell us where readers can find you more about you and what you're what you're going to be giving them next? Yeah, absolutely. They can find me at Twitter at Lady Hawkins is my handle. And I'm also Lady Hawkins on Instagram. In February, I have a brand new website that will launch either February or March. 
I will announce that <laughs> on Twitter or Instagram when it's finally up. This has been like quite the project. Yeah. So yeah. And then, yeah, we can talk about what's next. Yay. Yay. <laughs> well, congratulations on all the success of this book and everything else. It's just been so great having you here. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. These were fabulous questions. It was really a fun time. Thank you. Yay. And thank you all for joining us for this episode. We sure love a good thriller. On behalf of Patty, Mary Kay, Kristen, and Christy, we appreciate you all more than you know. Be sure to check back to listen to our previous podcast, too. There might have been something wonderful that you've missed. We've had some amazing guests. So be sure to tune in also every Friday. And also, please share with a friend. Remember, you can always find all the books by every Friends and Fiction Writers Block podcast guest, past and present, in the friendsandfictionbookshop.org shop. All sales placed there help to fund Friends and Fiction, and a portion of each and every sale goes straight into the pockets of indie booksellers nationwide. Since its inception, bookshop.org has raised more than $16 million for indie bookstores. Shop small, shop local, from the convenience of your screen with bookshop.org, and tell them Friends and Fiction sent you. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.